Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Let's across the this cross the world, Mitch. I mean, love catching up with this man. It's the first time we've done it this new year. It's Harry Simeo. He's a fantastic football broadcaster and journalist. You can go find him on Twitter and see all his marvellous work on different platforms that he does covering the English Premier League and all things English football. This morning, Leeds United have snared an important victory against West Ham. Liverpool have beaten Brentford 3-0, and it's been a busy, busy period for the Premier League. Morning or evening to you, Harry. Happy New Year. Good to have you on the show, man. Happy New Year to you all as well and to your listeners. And yeah, it's evening here, but it's morning there. So uh, good morning and good evening. That's exactly right. One of the quirks, mate. Hey, you um, you watch probably more football than I reckon the average average person. Is that fair to say? Yeah, definitely. My wife would agree with you as well, I think. Except, except for this morning, no, Harry, with your with Arsenal and, uh, and Tottenham being called off. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I, I think... We, we kind of got the impression that it was going to get called off from Friday morning. Um, Arsenal had returned back late from their trip to Liverpool in the Carabao Cup semi-final. And you just were, you were watching Arsenal that night and, and the players were dropping like flies with injuries. And we knew that they had a lot of problems going into the game. And given that the kind of precedent has been set in the last few weeks in the Premier League with regards to getting games postponed, I think this was a real possibility. But of course, it was met with uproar from the Tottenham faithful when that announcement was made yesterday. Yeah, not just the Tottenham faithful. I think it's starting to get to the point where everyone's getting a little bit, uh, or would you say, sick of how messy the Premier League's starting to become? Yeah, I think the problem has been all along that there hasn't been much clarity around what exactly constitutes a postponement. And this has been the big issue because we've seen some teams apply for postponements due to, you know, being really short of players. Due to a number of issues, it's not just been about COVID. This is the kind of misconception. A lot of the games that have been postponed, and if I'm not mistaken, there have been 20 now in the Premier League that have been postponed since December, since the start of December. Most of those games, if you actually read the postponement announcements, it does say are postponed due to a combination of COVID cases and injuries, meaning that they're unable to fulfill their requirements. Because as the Premier League law states, 
You need to have 13 available outfield players and at least one goalkeeper to be able to fulfill a fixture. And um, and you're absolutely right. People are getting irritated because it feels like some clubs have been using this to their advantage. You know, for example, if you've got a couple of really key players out, you've got a big game around the corner. This feels like a good way uh, to kind of get that game pushed back to a time when you'll be in better shape. But ultimately, I think it's one of those things where it feels like it's really boiled over in the last 24 hours. But I don't really think you can look at Arsenal and say, well, they're the problem here because it's happened so many times. And I think that the issue here is with the Premier League and the way they've been unclear about it all and had sort of one rule for one team and one rule for others. I think that's the big issue. Mm. So, so it's definitely been an unplaying, uh, an uneven playing field, but are there any clubs in particular that have handled it well or maybe not even handled it well but seem to have had a leg up through it all? It's interesting because I think the reason that I think Arsenal fans, and obviously I, I am an Arsenal fan, so for me, it's, um, you know, I, I might be slightly biased on this, but I think the reason Arsenal fans are feeling like this kind of criticism has been unfair and, and that Arsenal have handled it well is because actually this is the first game during this period Arsenal have requested to have postponed. Mm. Um, there are a number of clubs in the Premier League now, Burnley are an example, Leicester City are an example, Manchester United are an example, who have had multiple games postponed during this period. And, um, and, and I think there have been other clubs like, for example, Leeds United, who have got loads of absences and probably had more of a case than pretty much anybody to try and get games postponed. And they haven't. They've, st- they, they've stuck with it. They've dropped points as a consequence of that. I know they got a big result today away at West Ham, but prior to that, they've been really struggling. So I think it's some clubs have been more kind of like, yes, let's get on with it. Let's play through this will be okay and others you know have just taken every opportunity to get postponements put in place and and i think that's where the kind of bad blood is starting to appear between various clubs in the division yeah fair uh rafa benitez uh really interesting Mm. just the timing of it all is this a precedent that's been set any any coach to lose to norwich this year (laughs) gets binned (laughs) it's starting to feel that way but listen norwich have been really really poor this season teams that every time they get relegated down into the championship it's really clear that they're just too good for that level but they seem to fall into this in-between category where they're not quite good enough for the Premier League but they're too good for the championship and that's why here in the UK we call them yo-yo clubs clubs that keep coming up and then go down again and go up again Um, I think with Rafa Benitez though I think as much as he's been a wonderful coach throughout his career, I think this was always a kind of marriage that was doomed to fail. Uh, he's an ex-Liverpool manager. He'd said some things in the past uh, about Everton Football Club that made it really difficult for the Everton fans to accept him when he got the job. And I guess you only need to glance at the Premier League table and see that they're in 16th place to understand why this isn't working. But one thing I would say about the Rafa Benitez and Everton situation is that Actually, the problem at Everton is a lot more deep-rooted than just who the manager is. Um, There's no strategy from from the people above with regards to player recruitment, with regards to the direction that they want to move in. And that's evident because in the last four or five seasons, they've brought in some of the world's top managers, most experienced managers, managers who have won Champions Leagues and Premier League titles, and even they can't seem to get it right there. Mm. So I think it's important that although Benitez hasn't done a great job, that we look at what the actual issue is at Everton, and I think it's much bigger than just who the manager is.
I mean, history would suggest that they're probably not going to figure that out. They'll, they'll hire the latest uh, player to retire, I'm sure. <laughs> um, uh, I guess uh, from the weekend or so far, this round, um, what's been your pick of the game so far? Uh, I think one of the, the most entertaining games was that game between Manchester United and Aston Villa. Um, Manchester United have been heavily criticised since Ralph Rangnick took the job. Uh, a lot of people were kind of excited by his appointment and in truth it hasn't really brought the instant uplift that Manchester United fans were hoping for. They played Aston Villa in the FA Cup uh, in the week and, and uh, sorry last week and that game was really kind of close and tense and Manchester United came out on top. So having to go to Villa Park in an away tie this weekend I think a lot of people thought this would be a tricky fixture. Manchester United went into a two-goal lead and it looked as though they were kind of cruising towards the victory. But then, of course, Aston Villa pulled the goal back through the young Jacob Ramsey before bringing on their brand-new blockbuster signing, Felipe Coutinho, who scored a late equaliser. So I think that would be the pick of the games uh, in terms of entertainment value. But probably the result of the weekend is the one that you mentioned earlier, Leeds United extending the gap between themselves and the relegation zone by going and winning away at West Ham, which not many people expected. So I think in terms of result and shock, that was the one. But United and Villa was definitely the most entertaining fixture. Well, blockbuster signings and relegation zone, now you've got us interested. Chris Wood, <laughs> how did he go? <laughs> Newcastle United, um, they, they took our boy and they've given him the big pay packet and said, well done, mate, here you go, get us out of trouble. And they, they nabbed the draw first up. How's that whole signing process of Chris Wood from Burnley to Newcastle gone down in the UK, Harry? I mean, we're biased down here like you are about um, like you are about Arsenal. We love Chris Wood and we just think he can't do any wrong. But is, is this a good signing in your perspective, from your perspective? I think it's an okay signing. Um, it's not. I think what a lot of people were shocked by is not that Newcastle went and signed Chris Wood. It's the amount of money that they paid for him. They paid around about twenty-five million pounds for Chris Wood, which is the kind of figure that in the Premier League we'd never really associate with someone like Chris Wood. Or, with all due respect to him, but a Burnley player in general. You know, Burnley are notorious for doing cheap deals and, and Sean Dyche is a manager who gets a lot of praise for almost getting the maximum out of very little. So the Chris Wood signing, it, it raised eyebrows. You know, Newcastle United, since they got taken over by their new ownership, have been linked with some of the biggest superstars in world football just because of how wealthy they are. So to then go and sign Chris Wood, and, and I think he's a fantastic striker, but it probably came as a little bit of a shock and felt a little bit underwhelming to people. Add to that, they paid way over the odds. But I guess... The reason they did pay over the odds was because they're taking him away from a direct relegation rival. And Burnley had a, a minimum fee release clause in his contract, which meant that if anybody triggered that 25 million price, they couldn't stand in his way. But I think that premium was, or Newcastle felt that that premium was worth paying because partly it strengthens them, but partly it, it depletes a team that they're going to be in contention with. <laughs> so... It was, a, it was a shock signing. It really, really was. But I think he'll do okay there. I really do. He's worked under Eddie Howe before. Um, they brought in Kieran Trippier, who's a really good uh, fullback, gets forward, puts good crosses into the penalty area. And we know what Chris Wood can do with those. So I think it's a decent signing. But as I say, just the, the price tag just raised a few eyebrows. How cynical is that, eh? Trying to make yourself better, but also deplete one of your uh, relegation zone buddies. That's, that's terrible. But it, it makes sense, doesn't it, Harry? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, the, the monetary value to staying in the Premier League is so huge. 
that you know Newcastle were always going to try and throw money at this problem come January. As soon as the transfer window opened, we knew they'd be in the market, we knew they'd be in the hunt, and we know that they're in a financial position now where they can bully a lot of the clubs around them. Um, and unfortunately for Burnley, who have done magnificently to stay in the division all these all these years without going down again. Um, you know, it's a testament to the job, as I mentioned, that Sean Dyche has done. But Newcastle are going to do this now. They're going to throw their money about. They're going to bully people. And unfortunately, we were all up in arms about the idea of a European Super League. The Premier League is becoming a bit of a Super League in itself. Bingo. Love it, Harry. Appreciate your time, man. Good to have you back in the new year and getting some analysis and some real analysis on Chris Wood and what's going on. We'll catch up again in the next few months or so, I'm sure of it. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. No worries. Harry Simeo out of the UK giving us all of the Premier League gossip. Uh, I hadn't... I don't know. Did we even talk about that last week? It's something I kind of missed in, in amongst the Chris Woods signing. Yeah, I know that they were both relegation zone teams and maybe... We'll talk we'll, about the depletion. Nah, nah, that's the, a good tactic if that was it. I was just thinking in my head, is Chris Wood, will he get benched if they if they stay up next year? Like, was it just purely a tactic like that? Expensive. When you've got the expensive <laughs> tactic. But like you say, if there's that mu- amount of money, there is a, a lot of money staying up in the EPL, so Premier League, so... Yeah, interesting. I, I did see before, actually, with this game, this Tottenham-Arsenal game that got called off, um, they're in fifth, okay? So they've got that other spot, that other Europe spot. Um, Tottenham's in sixth, so f- 35 points and 30, uh, 33. So that kind of makes sense why Arsenal wanted to put their team out. But I saw um, on Harry's Twitter that, that Arsenal could have put out a team on the field. Yes, there were some people playing out of position, but worth $14 million more than Tottenham's team that they were going to put out tonight. So they still had the money advantage uh, on even the field. With yeah, even with everyone out and COVID and stuff like that. I know a few people like right centres playing right backs and stuff like that, but sure. still pretty funny, pretty interesting. That's just the disparity <laughs> from... Premier League clubs can be some of the biggest golfs. <laughs> I know, mate. You know, as, well, we, oh, golf, we actually <laughs> literally, <laughs> Newcastle owned by uh, the royal family. <laughs> Saudi, Saudi Arabia. Arabia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which, fair, fair, fair. Which is some people made some comments about when Chris was signing, like, how comfortable do we feel with all this? It's actually, you know, Saudi Arabia's um, footprint in sport, mm. like, it goes over my head some of the total nuance of it, but the point is they are putting so much investment into sport. They love it. Premier League clubs, Formula One, mm. horse racing, the lot, you know, and golf, um, they want top level athletes in their country playing yeah, when their does trade. Golf kickoff is that three, three, four weeks from now. Mm. Yeah, that'll be massive. Yeah, Some golf G O L F, not golf like. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oil. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that like they are seriously investing, in, and it does make some people feel really queasy. And some athletes, I know Andy Murray, for example, mm. he got offered big bickies to go play in like a, an exhibition tournament there. Yeah, right. Nah, not worth it for me, mate. Well, not worth it. Doesn't agree with. Doesn't line up with my moral compass. And you know, if you don't need the cash, they've got, he's got the luxury of making that call. But yeah, I think if he was a budding youngster, just won his first tournament, I think it might have been a little bit different. Eh? Yeah, a hundred percent. It's just interesting to see the decisions that. Uh, People make. People make in regards to Saudi Arabia and, and now Newcastle is owned by, you know, the royal, well, the family, the, the royal family, I guess. Yeah. Um, interesting stuff. But a bit of live sport that's gone on this morning. And unfortunately for our Silver Ferns, they went down to England, um, letting another lead go. But 
Pretty tough conditions, pretty tough effort over there. 49-46 was the end score. We're now going to head across to the camp, up to the UK, and it's very good evening to Phoenix Karaku, who's been good enough to join us on the line. Uh, evening, Phoenix, how you doing? Hey, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Just on our way home. <laughs> nice. So you're, so you're on the team bus. Is there any sing-songs going on or anything like that? Uh, no, not really. Um Obviously a hard loss to take, um, but um, no, I think we've just been looking at some of the stats and stuff like that as you do, trying to critique what was what was just put out on display. So um, no, no singing today. <laughs> yeah, was, you definitely can hear the disappointment in your voice, Phoenix. Um, those stats you talk about, uh, just on the face value, what, uh, what looks like we're letting you down? Um, you know, I think it was it's it, a bit of dif- um, different things in different quarters. Um, I think we were heaps better than yesterday. Um, in terms of stats, probably just um, the turnover balls. Um, and when we are getting balls, still not um, strong enough with finishing off those turnovers that we that we are getting and all the games that we're getting. So um, that's a huge. Um, work on for us, but I think we did a lot better than yesterday. So I think we can happy, be happy with the fact that we have improved, but obviously disappointing that was lost. Hey, coming into the quad series in general, Phoenix, where did you feel like the team was at? Did you guys think you were more ahead of what you've performed on the court? Um, you know, I think there is that little kind of feeling. Oh, we're we're better than what we're putting out on court. But um, it, it's very, it's hard to kind of, I guess, predict how we're going to go because there are a few new faces. Um, and the return of me and Taylor coming back, but then also um, some of the players who have been part of the team for the past year haven't actually played the likes of Aussie. And so with yesterday's game, it was kind of like a shock to the system. But um, I think we had prepared very well for that game. But I think still, um, you never know what you're coming up against until you actually play Aussie. And I think today we did a lot better, but we just didn't execute or finish off um, what we wanted to do. Yeah, so it's just the pace, is it, um, that the Aussies play at? That was just the, the, the thing that you guys get caught off guard with? Um, yes, and the physicality. I think we try our hardest to, um, in training, play scum, and so that's very on the body, popping the hands on the pitch and stuff like that. But, it's, um, yeah, I guess you can't really prepare yourself for when we do come up against the Aussies, but they're really clinical on what they do and um, take advantage of the speed of the game that they, they play. So... I think defensively for us yesterday, we we kind of packed back and we didn't attack ball, which is what we're actually good at as um, the Kiwi team. We look for the ball, we look for, um, you know, we hunt ball, and I think we just didn't do that very well yesterday. How can you, and what what can you take, and I'm sure you'll have a couple more reviews before you play South Africa a couple of times, but you personally, from your your vantage point, Phoenix, what do you think you'd love to see just tidied up and some real obvious things that we might even be able to see from home when you take on South Africa for a couple of goes? Yeah, I think um, today we fixed our start, which was awesome to see, and I think we, we came out... Um, 
you know, really strong compared to what we did yesterday. But I think it's uh, being able to have that consistent performance in the second quarter. I think we um, were in and out on that second quarter, hence why we ended up being even half-time. So I think um, for us is we want to feel and present and we want to, when we're feeling, we want to present. I think we got a bit of on the field and stayed on the field and we didn't really move off the field. So I think attacking-wise, that's one thing that we've got to look for and also the timing um, defensively and attack. Um, obviously, having more than two options or one option to the ball and then defensively, we just need to go looking for sets and creating like a snowball effect. So um, I think that's what we'll see tomorrow more of. I think we, we are improving every game and that's a, that's, I guess that's the, the plus that we can take from tonight. So, Anne, I'll just, just touch on it. Has it been difficult? Um, is this your guys' first tour away under these conditions, really, isn't it? Has it been a, a bit of a change, um, getting used to being in a bubble, um, um, being restricted, and particularly with how rampant COVID is over there at the minute? Yeah, it's not been that hard. I, I guess for me, it's... it's That's um, good to I've hear. not really had much time. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've not had much time to kind of just relax, so... Um, for me, I've just found it pretty easy, but I guess for the younger ones who, who don't have a baby to have to look after <laughs> and their, um, you know, their time, um, I guess people are missing the opportunity to go and shop and see um, the different um, sites around in London for those who haven't been here before. But um, I think we're doing really well in trying to mitigate trying, um, COVID within our bubble. And, you know, our end goal is to obviously have some learnings within the game, but we want to get home. So we're doing whatever we can to um, just stay tight as a unit. Um, there have been some things that we've, we've been like, oh, this team's doing that, this team's doing this, which is different to us. But as long as we stay together, I think we're doing really well. Mm. Well, we want to make sure you can come home as well, Phoenix. So that is priority. We agree. Priority number one. But uh, hopefully we can see some um, improvements. As you say, keep building in these last two games and then we'll get you back here. And, yeah, it'd be great to have you girls home. Thanks for joining us this morning. Well, this evening, appreciate you taking your time on the bus on the way home. I'll tell you who doesn't need a pity bonus bet, and that's backers of Levante Mm. from the weekend. The Group 1 Telegraph, unofficial world record time, a photo finish that can't have been good for the ticker, especially for this man, trainer Ken Kelso. He's been good enough to join us this morning. G'day, Ken. How you doing? Yeah, good morning, boss. How are you? Good. We're, we're great. You you must have a spring in your step or be feeling a bit pretty chipper because your mare got her well-deserved Group 1 and it was so cool to see. Yeah, it was a big weekend, you know. We uh, got home yesterday. But, uh, yeah, no, very um, exciting day for everyone and good for the mare, you know. She's deserved that group one. It makes a huge difference to their breeding career, as you know. So to get that monkey off your back, it's a, it's a big relief. She's um she's been a, an interesting... Well, she's been a... I don't know, you wouldn't call her a hype horse or a boom horse because she's been so good, but it's been a career that's been quite interesting to follow and um, some barrier issues, a, a few health issues. So for you, when, when you were kind of waiting for that photo finish, was it all going through your head or were you pretty calm? Uh, I thought we got beat, actually. I was sort of, Bev, Bev was sort of thought she'd won, and I thought, no, oh, geez, I don't know, you might have gone really cool. That girl, <laughs> Megan, she's jumping up and down in front, and I was thinking, oh, don't get carried away here, you know. Because <laughs> no, I, 
the, the big screen wasn't that clear, and I, my sight's not the best, but I wasn't, uh, <laughs> nah, I wasn't convinced until I heard the call, I tell you. Ken, you must be super proud of your team. Um, I know she's she's in such a short life already. She's already had two colic surgeries. Must be super proud of how they've brought her back up and how she's responded. Yeah, it's amazing, Mia. I mean, she got colic uh, surgery before we got it when she was being pre-trained. And uh, she bounced out of that and she has a three-year-old and then we were getting her ready for her after she won the four and run second in the Guineas at Wellington, we're getting ready for a spring campaign at uh, Hawke's Bay. And then about three or four weeks into that, she, she got it again. And um, she got rushed off to the vet clinic again and uh, ended up having surgery again. Never been major. I mean, she obviously had to be opened up, but um, um, it's, she never had any part of the bowel taken out or anything like that. So, surgeon explained to me that it was sort of similar to a hose pipe getting a kink in it and uh, it's a matter of going in and unkinking it but uh, I remember saying to Philip the owner, I said oh Jesus we're going to ride me mad, I'm going to be down all, there, all night watching her and he said no you can't do that, just treat her like a normal horse and, but I go down and check her every night and um, touch wood everything's been alright since you must be, it must be so stoked for the cool ownership group that's involved as well. It's so well-deserved for them, Ken. But, you know, did you, ever, did you ever just start to wonder whether she just might have a bit of a jinx on her? And she was just going so close for so long. You always talked about how professional of a mare she is and she always does everything right. So did you just have faith that the Group 1 was coming? Well, I did, really. I mean, I, you know, as you know, she, she developed that bad habit of, of, of being slow away and you know, missing it completely. At, um, so well, actually all started in the Guineas at Wellington when a couple of horses played up in the in, either side of her at, uh, when she runs second. And she must have got a bit of a fright from those two horses playing up either side of her. And she was very slow that day. And then she developed a habit of doing it. And uh, she got, you know, as you know, she stood there in the BCD sprint, the group one. And... Um, but we didn't do anything different. We took her back to the trials here and sort of got, got her motivated, so rounded the barrier and trotted her around and made sure that she was on the job when she went in. And fortunately, she's been a lot better this year, so um, it's been a bit of a relief, really. What do you think... Um, do, you, do you have an end goal for her? I mean, she's as you say, the value now as a broodmare will be enormous. Do you think she's still got more scope to get better as a race mare before then, Ken? Oh, definitely. Yeah, she's only had, what, how many starts? She had 12 starts or whatever it is, and one nine. Never further finished back than fifth, and that fifth was in the, when she stood in the gates. So, uh, no, and I think she'll go further. I mean, she's won a mile. Uh, I don't think she's an out-and-out sprinter, to tell you the truth. I think, you know, probably 1,400 a mile. Um, and we've always said, you know, maybe she might even go further because she's out of a staying mare. So... Uh, and if she could love along, you know, and behind them like she has done and, and going further, you know, it might be quite interesting. So, no, she's got a lot of, uh, she's uh, touch wood, she's sound, she's a great doer, she's a great eater, she's a good traveller. So, um, you know, obviously she's got a still, she's only five, so she's um, got, a, got a bit in front of her yet. 
Everyone always asks me, because she got to have a fan club, Ken, and a lot of people ask me, would she go to Australia and win? And I'd, I'd never really know what to say, because for a while, as you point out, the barrier, her tardiness wouldn't have been ideal. But now she's jumping and getting near enough the, the pace, it probably changes it a wee bit. Is there any thought of that one day? Yeah, well, definitely. I mean, uh, we wanted to tick off the Group 1 here, which we've done now. It's obviously the next race you'll go to the BCD Sprint. Can be, you know, successful, and you know, hopefully she'll um, uh, get through that. And then um, we look, we put in a nom last year for the Phillies and Mares race in Sydney. COVID has made it a little bit different, and I know the owners are mindful of the fact that she's had the colic surgery uh, of travelling on the plane and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, no, it's definitely. I mean. She's probably not got a lot to prove, more to prove here. So, uh, you know, yes, it's it's probably in the future, but as you know, COVID stuffs everything up. And, um, um, it doesn't look like it's going away either, unfortunately. It's probably getting worse. So, uh, no, it's always there, sort of thinking about it. Yeah, I don't think she'd... You know, I know they're all raving about this one six thing. I don't, I don't, I don't know where... What that's all about with that um, the timing at Trentham. Um, she certainly, and I know, and I'm realistic enough to know that, you know, um, they don't run that sort of time down the Flemington Strait. No, it's a straight track. Yeah, um, and I think, you know, I'm realistic enough to know that I don't think she'd compete against the nature strips and that sort of thing over six furlongs at um, Flemington and and, and Randwick. So um, if we go to Australia, we'd probably be going further than 1,200 metres. Bang on, Ken. Absolutely, mate. And it's been great to have you on the show. She's a fantastic mare. Appreciate your time this morning. One six or not, that was fast. What a telegraph win by our mare Levante. Fantastic. Thanks to Kenny Kelso. Great training effort. The Australian Federal Court. Why would the Australian Federal Court have the performance of the weekend? Well, they were working overtime. If you're just back at work for your first day of the year today, think about those poor law clerks in there over their weekend trying to sort out whether Novak Djokovic was going to have his ticket in the first round and try and become the single greatest male tennis player of all time and get Grand Slam 21 or whether he has to pack his bags and head off. Well, it was the latter. Novak Djokovic is gone. He has left the building And we're going to talk about that right now, Mitch. We've got Blair Henley on the line. She's been good enough to join us out of the States, soaking it all in. One of the more dramatic tennis stories I can remember of my time. Blair, good afternoon. Thanks so much for joining us. Is this one of the more crazy tennis stories you would have ever covered? Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. And the answer to that is yes. There, I will tell you, in the last year between Naomi Osaka and Peng Shui and now Novak Djokovic, tennis has certainly been in the headlines. But how long this... Djokovic saga stretched on and the way that it ended certainly puts it at the top for me. Yeah. What what do you make of it all? Do you, do you believe that there will be an opportunity for him to come back in the next couple of years or do you think Djokovic will end up just saying, well, nah, don't fancy it anymore, not coming back to Australia? You know, I think it, it depends on what's going to win out. Is it going to be Novak Djokovic's will to win and love of setting records or is it going to be a, a, just a feeling of 
disengagement after this this entire thing has gone down. Listen, he's he's in danger because his visa was canceled. He's in danger of having his visa visa canceled for three years uh, in Australia. There has been precedent set uh, for exceptions to be made to that, uh, but that's what's still on the table here. It's a, it's been the the whole process. I don't know about you, Blair. Not necessarily on the ground at Melbourne Park, and neither are we. So the whole process of how this has been covered and how this is the story has been consumed, it really has felt less like a tennis story and more like a general news or even a COVID issue. Do you know what I mean? It's almost like it really has hit tempers and, and made people talk and kind of act about the scenario, kind of like more some of those more controversial political conversations we have been having over the last probably five-ish years. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Because it involves the vaccine debate, this really is a story that everyone has an opinion on. And I think anyone who watched it from the beginning can comfortably say that there were mistakes made across the board from Djokovic himself to Tennis Australia to the Australian government. Um, There are really no winners, uh, except perhaps uh, Salvatore Caruso, which is the lucky loser who is going to get Novak Djokovic's spot in the Australian Open draw. But because it has sort of that uh, definitely a political bent to the story, there's there's sort of an exhaustion, uh, a deflation, almost a sadness that it all had to come to this. Yeah, oh, I guess we should probably move on from that. Now Djokovic isn't there. Um, who's your pick from the men's side of the draw? And then I'd love to know your picks from the women's side because it seems to be wide open if, uh, unless Ash Barty just continues the form that she's been in. Uh, Well, I'll start on the women's side because you mentioned Ash, who has been incredibly consistent over the past couple of years. Obviously, it's a different story when you're playing in your home country and in front of your home fans. And she's she's admitted that. I think she's going to get it done, though. Uh, But I would say my second pick would be Naomi Osaka, which some might say, oh, well, she hasn't played since the U.S. Open. But historically, Naomi Osaka has not needed a long runway, so I would not be surprised to see her do very well at the Australian Open. And on the men's side, listen, I feel like I'm going to play it safe here. Daniil Medvedev has had a solid start to his year. He had a little warm-up with the ATP Cup, and I'm going to pick him to win it on the men's side. Please, is there any chance now Rafael Nadal sees Novak Djokovic uh, deported, sent his bags packing gone, and they're all tied, right? 20 grand slams each. Is there any chance this just gives Rafa a little bit of kick, puts a bit more fire in the, the Spaniard's belly, and he says, this is my chance to go one clear. We never know. We don't know what's going to happen to Novak here. Do you think this might inspire him at all? I don't know that it's possible for Rafa to be more inspired than he is on a daily <laughs> yeah, basis. True, the man true. is... <laughs> is competition personified. So I think Rafa is already on level 100 to begin with. But certainly, uh, Rafa is, is one of those guys. He's, he, he came, he hasn't played for months uh, and coming off an injury and he wins a title already in Australia. So he's going to be someone that I don't think anyone's going to want to see ahead of them in the draw. Osaka's an interesting one. I know she's shutting down any questions um, directed about like Ash Barty. Um, do you think that's just for her to get into a good mental space or, or do you think there's something more to it? Naomi Osaka explained a little bit because, again, this is the first time we're seeing her since September after, of course, we all know she had a really difficult year off the court in terms of finding the right mental space. I think she comes into Australia with the mindset that I am not going to 
talk about anything, answer any questions that I don't feel like keep me on the path I need to be to do my best on the court. Um, she sort of has maybe learned that you're not going to please everyone. And maybe that for her is a really good place to be. Yeah, it, it's funny. Um, her whole, the whole narrative around Naomi Osaka, you know, in a way, it's not too dissimilar to the, the Novak Djokovic thing, quite divisive. And you don't really know actually what's going on. And I think that's what people have found so hard about this. It's, as you said, there's a fault of all people in the Novak Djokovic situation. And with Naomi Osaka, you know, I really didn't, I, I felt sorry for her and I didn't really understand what she was saying. And because I didn't necessarily understand what she was trying to get across, I didn't really want to say, oh, well, no, Naomi Osaka's just being difficult. It just felt like she was a wee bit misunderstood throughout it all. Do you, do you think, Blair, that she might be in a better mental place? Is there any indication to see that? Yes. I mean, she pretty much said, listen, after the US Open, I thought I was going to take a longer break than I did. But one day I just got tired of sitting around at home and I called my team and said, let's do it. And that to me is the best possible thing you could hear from Naomi Osaka because it says she didn't get back on the court because she felt that she had to. It was because she wanted to. Uh, and and yes, to your point, I think it's very easy for us to, you know, there's, there's always outrage surrounding these sorts of stories, whether it's Naomi Osaka not wanting to do press conferences or Novak Djokovic, you know, seemingly not wanting to get a vaccine, but we, we don't ever know the entire story. And so I try, if I can, to sort of err on the side of uh, grace and compassion, just because there are always bits of the story that we don't know. Um, obviously, we want to touch on the other hometown, well, hero or villain, whichever way you want to put it. Uh, Nick <laughs> Kyrgios obviously withdrew the last tournament uh, with asthma, uh, air quotes. Uh, sometimes just doesn't look like he wants to play. Do you, do you think he'll ever win a, win a major or, you know, or do you think he'll even be competitive in this Aussie Open? <laughs> That's <laughs> oh, no, a loaded question, isn't it? On, uh, on Nick Kyrgios is, uh, I mean, goodness gracious, you could blindfold me and I could play tin the, pin the tail on the donkey. Uh, it is it is so hard to predict. It just really depends if he wants to. Does, does he want it? Um, and that has sort of been the question. He's certainly capable of it. Um, but again, will his body hold up? Uh, what is he thinking off the court? There, there are just a lot of variables when it comes to Nick Kyrgios. But one thing I can say with confidence, it's that tennis is better off uh, when he wants to be on the tennis court. So I certainly, as, as a fan of the sport, I, I hope he can put all, get all his ducks in a row in, in the years to come. Here, here. Well said, Blair. That's awesome. Great to have you on the show this morning, Olisavo. Your time, it's um, been good to catch up. And I know this, this story, the Novak Djokovic story, has consumed not just the tennis world, but really the political and just the general news world of the last few while. So now we can get stuck into the tennis. I'm sure we'll catch up again sometime. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Louie and Mitch. Enjoy the tennis. Of course. Jeez. Yeah, we- will do. Ash, Ash Barty, yeah. We love this here when in, in we front of you. Yeah. Like to party. <laughs> yeah, we, that, we it like, is the party, like party party. It is the party party. Let's go. Someone's got to talk about just hiring him just as our hype man. <laughs> <laughs> can, can, can we Wow, is there any did you notice that? Sorry, just for anyone, we'll, we'll circle back to the tennis in a second. But what we're talking about is if you missed it, on Friday we got um, your boy Q, that's his name, well, not real name, but he's uh, the Las Vegas Raiders radio announcer, and he was exactly what you imagined. Do, 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 do. And oh. what I realised is that he actually, 
he clipped our interview that we interviewed him and he played it on his show. So we actually debuted on Las Vegas Raiders, Raiders fan radio <laughs> on Friday, Mitch. How good. Yeah, he's so fizzed, mate. Hey, it's got to be a regular. Next next season, we've got to get him on. Yeah, I suppose that's it, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> depressing. Oh, yeah, next season. Yeah, no, terrible. Uh, yeah, we might have to find another radio host I, over there, eh? I think that's the way to go. Um, maybe at, at Buccaneers, you know, down there in Tampa Bay, yeah, they'd be pretty yeah. loose, wouldn't they? 17 yeah, nil over the Eagles at the moment. I struggle to see how the Eagles are going to pin that one back. Later today, Cowboys 49ers at 10.30, and then Chiefs Steelers. Cowboys 49ers? Ripper. Yeah, we want the 49ers. The 49ers your team, is it? Oh, well, you just kind of Joe, react that, oh, it's Joe's team. So. Yeah, I just, I'm, I'm pretty yeah, yeah. pretty platonic, you know. Yeah. Just. But I just, the next next work drinks, Joe, Stephen McIver in a corner, if the, if the 49ers get up. I don't, yeah, a little fight for life situation. <laughs> <You reckon? laughs> I don't know. Cho- hey, okay, choices for him, Paul. Who wins? Joe, Joe or Stephen McIver? I'll, I'll take him. I'll take him. Oh, <laughs> oh, you heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Joe, uh, I, I like the. Co- uh, do you reckon, Jesse? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I like All right. Kieran saying no chance. Okay, Joe. Okay, Joe. Um, just to just to round off the tennis, the Australian Open. It does start today. I tell you what, it feels like stinking hot summer yeah. when the Aussie Open is on and you can watch it late into the evenings. Uh, it's great time zone viewing for us. Uh, the next two weeks, let's go huge on the tennis. Love, yeah, let's do it. Love the Aussie Open. Brett Phillips, our, our tennis man across the ditch. I think he's coming up with Smithy shortly as well, and, and he'll be here. The hardest working man in tennis. Maybe in radio. Hey, I just hear him everywhere I go now. Brett Phillips. Yeah. Yeah. Everywhere. He's the man with the serve. Yeah, doesn't he? The first serve. Paige Harab is next, though. The newly crowned Open Women's National Surfing Champion. And it's a huge congratulations and morning to Paige Harab. She claimed her first national title down there on the west coast of the New Zealand. I don't know whether that's where you expected it to happen, Paige, but you got the monkey off your back and you must be so thrilled, mate. Good to have you on the show. Um, morning, guys. Thank you. A pretty exciting moment to be able to call yourself the national national champ. Yeah, um, it's definitely it's been on my mind um, and a goal of mine for so long. So, yeah, as I've said before, it's a bit of a relief, and uh, yeah, happy as to get it. Paige, uh, must have been awesome. Did you have the family down there to be able to celebrate you with you? Yeah, I did. Um, my parents actually came down and went around in their camper for a bit, so it was cool to have them there. Did it feel pretty cool representing Taranaki, Taranaki and getting it done on both on the men's and women's side, Paige? Yeah, for sure. That was a huge win for Daniel, and um, we had a massive Taranaki crew down there, so we were waiting on the beach the score in the last minute, so it was pretty exciting. And um, also one of our Taranaki board riders, Kyle Plummer, they won the best club Yeah, it was an awesome week for Taraki down there. Nice, Paige. Um, Paige, you're going to, after this, obviously, you're uh, going to try to get back on the World Surf Tour, aren't you? So you're, you're shooting over in February to the Gold Coast. After winning this, does this give you a lot of confidence um, going into that? Yes, yeah, it's the start to the year. Um, I've had one flight camp from Australia already, so... Everything's still a little bit up in the air and up going, but yeah, the plan is to go over there and do several comps there and um, eventually try to get back on the world tour. 
So you've obviously still got that hunger you've always had for it, Paige. Like, you haven't necessarily been discouraged by a, a niggly time with COVID and that sort of thing? Um, it's almost um, made me hungry. I've been in a speech uh, yeah, two years back in New Zealand. I'm kind of ready to go again. Fair enough. Are you got some downtime? Are you still going to trip around the South Island and try to find some waves down there? Oh, I've done that the past two weeks. It's been pretty awesome, but I'm actually currently on the ferry back home. Oh, there's the reception. I've got you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> nice. Uh, so, um, Daniel, uh, just touch on Daniel just quickly. Um, you know, just young, 22 years old. Uh, he'll be over the moon, wouldn't he? Yeah, he was pretty pretty happy. Um, with him and his dad were, were crying on the beach, so <laughs> it was pretty cool to see. Awesome, Paige. Hey, thanks so much for taking a, a call in the middle of the Cook Strait. Uh, back to the North Island, get, get, get your affairs in order, then head off to Australia when you when you get across the ditch and hopefully you, you get that plane. We'll catch up again and um, love to support you throughout the year as you try to get back on tour and, and uh, live that cool life that you've, you've managed to make for yourself so far. Awesome. Thank you so much.